Hey, good morning. Uh, if you're in the state of Texas like I am, I have finally put the keys down and uh, I'm going to be in one place for multiple weeks. Uh, this morning, I'm in my car getting the opportunity to uh, talk with Joshua, Joshua Laycock. Uh, a little bit of, about Joshua. I actually met him like I met many men that I interview through the Uncivilized Nation. It's a men's group that's based out of Colorado, but it's virtual and there's men all over the world. I recently spent four days in the Colorado mountains with uh, Joshua and about 20 other men when we got to take time and heal together. And I remember having a deep conversation, one that I had with many men, but this one stuck out to me a lot. On the mountainside, about 5 a.m., Josh and I uh, woke up and we were just we were just talking about life and his story intrigued me and, and it intrigued me because a lot of men feel like oh there has to be a traumatic experience like there there's some type of traumatic experience that there's a catalyst into your journey but there's many men Joshua was one of them and we'll talk into his story here in a minute that they they feel like everything's just perfect but there's still something missing and so I love this story. I had to get him on. I I finally did. I rescheduled. Joshua, I apologize for that, but thank you for coming on and taking some time with me today. No, absolutely. My pleasure. It's been a long time coming. We were going to do it in, in Colorado, but I think just the the vibe and the cadence of those days just didn't lend itself to getting it done. So I'm glad we're we're able to do it on the other side now that we've reintegrated ourselves back into the real world and and all the all the wonderful baggage that that entails. Absolutely. It, you know, like you said, it, it the work we were doing, it, it, it just took us to a different place. And, and I think that we both realized on the last day, like, holy shit, uh, we missed it, but that's okay. We'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah. I w it would have just been like an hour of me just sitting there quietly thinking, <laughs> which is rare for me to be quiet. So yeah, I think the vibe wasn't necessarily conducive. It was really an introspective, uh, it was a powerful, powerful weekend, and I don't think we'll go too deep into that here. We can later, but um, definitely an experience that I think every man on the planet should experience. And, and as you said, it doesn't matter what your past, what you're, where you're from, um, whatever your sort of socioeconomic status is or whatever. It's it's something that I think every man should experience. And, uh, and certainly, it, it also allows guys like you and I to connect who quite frankly probably wouldn't have otherwise connected had it not been for these men's groups and, and these opportunities to come together so absolutely so Josh uh Josh or Joshua I keep switching back and forth what do you go by I tend to go by Joshua but don't worry if you if you call me Josh uh what I usually get is a lot of Josh was so <laughs> so I'm pretty easy I'm pretty easy either way all right I'm gonna do my best I'm gonna have a counter a ticker of Joshua <laughs> versus Josh's all right, Joshua, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background. There's so many things you've done. And I like my mind was blown when you told me. Yeah, I mean, I can I can start, you know, as as far back as we want. But uh, I think my life has probably been quite varied, um, mostly due to lack of focus, but that's OK. So so right now uh, I'm 41, be 42 in a few months. I live in Canada and for those of you who might know where that is and want to zoom in, I live just outside of a, a town called Kingston, which is a couple hours east of Toronto. So in Ontario, um, sort of central 
uh, Eastern Canada. It's a beautiful space. Um, I've lived all over Canada um, most of my life. So that's, uh, that's where I live. I have two kids, uh, a son who's, and they just had birthdays. So they're eight and my daughter is five. Um, and in a few days, I'm coming up on my 10th wedding anniversary with my absolutely incredible wife, Kate. Uh, we have a dog, kind of the textbook, like married, <laughs> yeah. boy, girl, house, dog, you know, the usual sort of nuclear family. And uh, yeah, so I, I, my day job is I work uh, for a, a massive insurance company here in Canada, and I, I, I'm a product specialist. That's what I've been doing most of my professional careers working in the commercial insurance space. But really, um, the stuff that we're here to talk about is is my work with myself, and then which naturally evolved into working with other men, particularly. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I have a, a, a men's coaching practice called Lifestyle Evolution. Um, I'm the head coach, uh, which is probably a bit of a fancy title, but essentially I just <laughs> help oversee and work with a lot of the uncivilized coaches. Um, so those are, are men's coaches that you can get access to through um, joining the Uncivilized Nation. I also run uh, or co-run an online group called The Complete Dad with uh, one of my good buddies um, who's a South African who lives in Germany. Gotta love the internet. So we run that as well. And just for giggles, because if that's not enough, um, I'm also going back and doing my master's of psychology and then all the other stuff, coaching my son's baseball and um, going to be getting back into jujitsu and just keep moving. So there's a lot on my plate, but really all of it now is uh, in service of my master vision, which we can talk about. That's a big part of my practice, but my version of what visions are and how they serve us. And everything that I do is just trying to move in you know, closer to that that point of my vision of what kind of a man do I want to be? What kind of a life do I want to live? And it's been a really wild journey from, you know, just a completely asleep um, drone to now moving into a pretty funky and fun part of my life where I'm now starting to be aware of all the cool things going on and just exploring and playing really. You know, it, it was uh, interesting, you know, obviously I, I mentioned before we got on here, this podcast is a platform for me to help men turn their pain into power. And you, you made a good point that not all men experience pain in the way that we, we think it at the surface level, right? Like the, the pain point may not always be pay, painful, right? And, and, and a traumatic. And so for you, you mentioned that like you had everything and I'll let you go in deep into that, but there was still something missing. Tell me about that, the point in your life where you're like, there's something more, I need to get it. And I need to, and I need to, I need to just change what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and you're right. So it doesn't, we don't always have to have a massively tragic backstory. There are a lot of men that do. And, and that's helpful if, if, you know, you hear those stories, if that's what you're facing, that's incredible. But Sometimes that can be a little off-putting to people who haven't had that. And they're kind of one of the things that I'm really mindful of is I speak to a lot of men who are like, yeah, but I don't, I don't need, or maybe I'm not even worthy of a coach or a therapist or doing this work because my life's not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And the challenge is, is like, you know, we all have our own struggles. We all have our own challenges. And what I don't want to see men do is like 
minimize what they're working through because maybe relative to someone else, it's not as dangerous or traumatic, but it's still your thing, right? It's still your challenge and it's still something that's holding you back from thriving and living the life that you want. So yeah, for me, like it's a pretty idyllic story. You know, uh, I had have incredible parents. They, they split up when I was a baby, but I, I always talk like my dad and my mom who are still friends are the textbook on how to have a divorce with a young child and not completely screw the kid up. I mean, the jury's still out, but they did an incredible job. And despite going through a very painful part of their life, I never bore the brunt of that. Um, and they both remarried. And so I ended up actually having like four incredible parents who were so loving and close and we're all friends with each other. And it was a really cool thing. Um, I grew up in an upper middle class family. I never wanted for anything financially. We were doing quite well. Um, I got into, you know, what in Canada would be sort of like the equivalent of your Ivy League school into finance. And I graduated near the top of my class and had an excellent job in, in insurance and finance before I even graduated. And I had my whole world planned out, you know, and I, I knew what financial milestones I wanted to hit and I hit them all on or ahead of schedule. Um, at the time where we're sort of coming up to, I, I had moved to Vancouver on our West coast and I was living in North Vancouver in, in a rainforest, um, literally across the street was a, a river and a, and a dam. And I'd wake up to like bald eagles and bears cruising through my neighborhood. It was like just stunning. And, you know, I was married to the woman who is the love of my life and, and is a part of me that I just can't even begin to articulate. I even had my old junker Toyota forerunner that I'd always wanted and I loved it. And I had a young son who was healthy, had the dog, had everything. And I was just numb. I was just, I found myself going through the motions. I found myself really getting distracted by things that, you know, a good man shouldn't be distracted by. And that that's what I was telling myself. And you know, it was like, I've done everything. I ticked all the boxes. I've done all the things that I should do that society says I should be doing. Why am I not happy? And uh, I thought like a lot of people, well, I'll test a new job. So I took a very, I was approached and I, I accepted a, a very challenging job um, that I thought was going to test my skills and everything just went crashing down from there. It was a disaster when, from day one. When was yeah. this? What time frame uh, are we speaking? Yeah, we're talking like 10 years ago. So roughly, okay. so probably 13, 14, 15-ish. Okay, I just wanted, to get, a time I wanted yeah. to get a time so, frame on when we're yeah. talking. So 10 years ago. Yeah, so call it roughly 10 years ago. Um, and uh, what I got into is I, I've always had a really creative imagination. I, I grew up an only child. I have siblings from my dad's second marriage, but I, I was raised an only child. Uh, so I have that sort of only child creativity, imagination, because you got to entertain yourself kind of thing. Uh, and while that's great, it helps me write stories and, and be fun and articulate. It can also turn on you. And what I found is I was getting into quite dangerous cycles of rumination. I was getting really upset with myself. I was having conflict with other people. I found myself, you know, when you get into those situations where you have a conflict and then for two weeks later, you're like, oh, I should have said this and I should have said that. And next time I see him, I'm going to do this. And it just, I was out of control. And thankfully I wasn't actually, 
it wasn't manifesting in dangerous behaviors, but it was really getting uncomfortable, like to the point where I didn't know that I wanted to be in the office because I wasn't sure that I could keep my temper with, you know, our CEO and, and whatever was going on. And this is not the company I work for now. It's a completely unrelated company. So I was just, I was really uncomfortable. And, and I've talked about this before is there was a day where I was driving into work and I was anticipating conflict and I was so into this rumination into this conflict kind of fantasy i guess where i went in and i just ripped this guy a new one and i kind of george costanza quit and walked out and you know but then i remember thinking like my body was physically reacting to this and and i wanted to do that but i was like well i have a kid and i have you know rent that i have to pay and i have expenses and you can't do that and this is not okay because I didn't trust myself enough to not do something epically stupid because I was so not in control of my emotions and, and my thoughts. So I think I might even have gone home, worked from home that day. And I remember at night, cause I wasn't sleeping cause I was just thinking all the time, thinking, thinking. I, I remember Googling, like, how do you shut your brain off or how do you, whatever, like something along the lines of what the hell's going on between my ears and a book popped up that you know resonated with me so i've ordered it and devoured it and that book led to an online men group which led to podcasts which led to me joining other men's groups and then that was the start of my journey but i remember reading this book um the unbeatable mind by mark divine who um is a really cool cat um former navy seal crossfit yoga guy uh, he's still crushing doing his thing but that book um the unbeatable mind and uh, and then his other books, like The Way of the Seal and stuff, just it was the first time that I ever was aware of my mind as something that the, the process was within my control, right? I talked before, like it, my, my mind had always been either a massive asset or a massive liability, right? Like you go to school, you need to learn things. I can shove stuff into there, no problem. And I can I can use that. But when it would turn against me, I had no awareness of what was actually happening. So that book got me into things like mindfulness, mindset work. Um, what I didn't realize at the time was actually some sort of quasi-therapeutic tactics, CBT tactics to intercede and, and redirect negative thought patterns and stuff like that. And that so that was the beginning. And that was probably about 10 years ago um, when I got into this space. And now it's become my obsession. and. Um, like I'm happy as hell right now. You know, we all have our things that we continue to work on, but you know, my, my world on paper hasn't changed much in those 10 years by design in terms of acquiring assets, getting promotions. That's just not been my, it's just not been my, my pursuit. I realized that I'd been chasing all the wrong things um, and fell into that milestone goal setting trap that you know, when it's part of a larger system can be very helpful. But when that's your thing, when the whole purpose is to hit these milestones or to achieve these very tangible goals, man, we realize really quickly when you get there that that's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, you know, you talked about being numb at the beginning, like you, you had everything, but there was this numbness to you. Can you talk to me, tell me more about that. And then tell me, 
as you tell me more about that, talk to me about the following uh, weeks, months, years. Mm-hmm. I know you, you, the job, you mentioned the job, but the process of your change. So you've been in this for 10 years. Tell me the things that you've changed over the, the course of the last 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, our minds recognize change, right? Like cold and hot are relative only to where you're coming from loud and quiet, those sorts of things. So it's easy for me to look back and be able to put labels on what I was feeling, but I wasn't labeling them. I didn't have the capacity to recognize them at the time, right? Like when we go to the dentist and we get a freezing, we know our face is numb because we know what it feels like when it's not numb. But I didn't really know any better because I just sort of grew into this being this adult um, that I didn't recognize. So I wasn't one morning was like, boy, I'm feeling numb because you don't. Right. And it's, it's almost like people who are in a depression, you don't really necessarily realize you're in a depression until someone can help you recognize maybe where you're at and give you a bit of context and perspective. So what I knew for me was intuitively in my gut was like, if this doesn't get better, I may not be married for very long. I'm certainly not going to be a very good father. And that to me was just utterly unacceptable. And, and it became quite matter of fact. Um, you know, and, and that's, this is coming from a place where at the time my marriage was good. Or at least I thought it was, you know, I thought I was a pretty good dad. So actually, as you start to learn these things and start to become aware of what's going on, I was actually really quite scared because it's waking up to some new reality. It's waking up to all the things that you might actually have control over, but you've just been ignoring and then realizing how much, how many things you've been obsessing about over which you have no control, (laughs) right? We get this backwards. So for like a lot of people, the beginning of my journey was quite scary. Um, You realize that I had, done a lot of this to myself. And again, I'm not coming from a a position of trauma or where something happened to me. So I'm talking about my mindset, my inability to see beyond sort of material things. It's kind of embarrassing or scary, or maybe even anger inducing when you realize in a way you are choosing to live that way. You're choosing to live that life. And our lives and our perception, I really believe, are just a fiction. It's it's how we choose to see it, right? You ask one guy, go chop this giant pile of wood. He's going to grumble and groan and hate it and tell you all the reasons why it sucks. And you've got other guys who are like, I get to chop wood? Sweet. Let's go. It's the exact same task. It's just how our brains perceive it. So to answer your question, at first, it was super scary. It was really daunting. Um, you know, I went through moments of like, man, am I like, irreparable like have i have i gone beyond a point where i can't come back (laughs) you know have i just torpedoed myself then you do the oh look how much time i've wasted all those sorts of things you throw your own little pity parties um and then you kind of you either decide that you're gonna either go back to being numb which i don't think ever really works or you decide i'm gonna step into this and it started to allow me to realize things on a, on a much broader scale. Like I realized that slowly I'd been gaining weight da, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, I'm 50 pounds overweight. Where'd that come from? 
or like, boy, I'm married, but I've really been taking this relationship for granted. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, or, you know, people always joke, there's no uh, manual to being a father. Actually, there's tons of them, <laughs> right? There's a ton of resources on how to be a better man, how to be more present, how to learn how to communicate with children, how to deal with high energy children. Um, you know, even some of the stuff that we talked about around uh, connection and different types of psychology. Like, so, so there are, you just have to go find them and you have to be open to them. And I think that's, you know, something that's, you know, I love Dewey Freeman's conversations on the difference between control. And I always saw myself as a powerful person. I was smart. I was making good money. Da, 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 da. But what I really, Freeman talks about to be powerful, you have to be able to influence, but also be influenced. I was a super arrogant SOB who had no real justification for the level of cockiness and confidence that I was bringing to the world. It was a mask for deep seated insecurity. So I wasn't prepared to be influenced. I was imposing myself on the world. So what I was doing was I was trying to exert control. And I'm a massive uh, follower and fan of the Stoic philosophy, capital S, Stoicism, which at its core is about recognizing the things that you can control and recognizing the things that you can't control, right? The things that you can't control will fill a warehouse. The things that you can control are quite small and you should spend your energy there. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to control my world but it was all the stuff that really we have no control over so that process of coming to was very uncomfortable and in fact in the short run i actually rebelled and i i dove deeper into the things that were numbing me and distracting me um and it just eventually you just have to realize you sit little wins and little wins and you start chipping away at it and I think one of the most powerful things for me, which is very textbook masculinity based or driven was when not only the work that I was doing was starting to have a benefit on me, but I was able to see that I was influencing other men. That was actually when the real power of what we were doing came to light for me. Um, it's been studied a fair bit in that how do you because one of the challenges how do we get men into things like therapy and and to start paying attention to their mental health and there's a few sort of tick the box requirements which increases the odds of men being successful in therapeutic and mental health practices but one of them is the ability to give back right men we like to fix shit <laughs> even if we don't know how we like to fix stuff so that was the light bulb moment for me was when other people were seeing the changes in me but also recognizing that what I was bringing to the table was having an influence on them. And I was able to see the growth that they were doing, that this whole idea of men's work and personal growth really was, was actually being a creative and adding value to my life. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question because you had said that you, you had dove back for a short period of time on things that were numbing you still. Can you tell me what those things were? And then also, as you shine light on that, as you shine light on the, the realization of like, oh shit, I, I, I temporarily jumped back to this, these things that were holding me back. How, what, what was changing in your life as you were doing this process? Yeah. So at first it felt like nothing was changing. Um, 
And that was the frustrating thing. So for me, my distractions weren't super sinister. Yeah, I I would use porn every now and then. Um, but it wasn't truly, it wasn't, I mean, you could argue no amount is a good amount, but it wasn't something that was really distracting to me. Honestly, most of my my distractions were, although it was early days on social, were, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook feeds of the material things I wanted. Um, I was always convinced that I was going to be very wealthy. I'm not. I do well. I'm comfortable, but I'm not wealthy. Um, but I was always convinced that I was going to be wealthy and and more, you know, frustratingly looking back now is I just I assumed I was entitled to it. I'm a smart guy. I mean, I'm entitled to that. So my distractions were fantasies around the jobs I was going to have, the money I was going to make, how I was going to spend it, the cars I was going to drive, the places we were going to go see. So a lot of my retreating into that world was like refusing to confront the world as it is. And I was just living in this, this fantasy of my, what my life could look like. And and sometimes that's just watching a ton of movies. Um, sometimes it's just going on long walks, but not actually paying attention to the walks. I'm just fantasizing about the money and the things and, so a lot of it was just a mental distraction. Um, I, I'm fortunate drugs and alcohol weren't really in my past. I mean, I'll, I'll have a drink, but it's not ever been a challenge for me. So for a lot of it was just really head in the sand kind of stuff. Um, it's like, the, you know, the difference between buying a book and reading a book and then even reading a book and doing what the book says. I was at the buying a book phase and I might even read it, but I wasn't doing anything with it because doing something about it was scary. It meant confronting these things. It meant making changes. So that was the beginning of it. And that's where I was kind of hiding from it. You know, it's like buying all the vegetables and having the healthy food in your house and then still ordering pizza that next night. That's kind of like what I was doing. Um, what was changing? I think the biggest thing for me at the center of all of this was my relationship with my wife. Um, we right now we're in this phenomenally incredible place we have a remarkable relationship and we've always been good good whatever that means in air quotes um but i did realize that i was really taking taking it for granted and um so it it started off with just having the courage to share things with my wife like hey i'm reading this book i know it's a little weird what do you think um it was just being a little open, starting little conversations, being more mindful of how other people were. And, and the biggest pivot was starting to look at life from other people's perspective. Um, so those little changes started to open me up to start actually living in the world. And then that turned into like, and it's funny, like right now I have my back goes out. It has been for quite a while, probably 20 years now. It usually does it a couple times a year when it would go out, it used to really derail me. I'd get miserable. I'd get upset. I'd probably get mean to people. I'd eat a bunch of junk food and I just hide and, in just sort of wallow in my own self-pity. Now it's like, shit. Okay. Inconvenient. What do I got to do? What maybe did I do wrong to bring this one on this time? Let's rock and roll through it. So it was actually just the way I was confronting things. It was my ability to to take this job that I had been in and I'd only been there a few months. And I said, this is not working for me. I'm not doing this. I'm out. 
And I actually went back kind of hat in hand. Thankfully, I left on good terms to my old company and said, look, that didn't work. Uh, you guys said, if it didn't, I can come back. How does that look? And they welcomed me back, which was super cool. So it was starting to have little micro moments of courage, little micro moments of vulnerability, micro moments of slightly smarter decisions, um, a little bit more fitness, a little less junk food, a little bit more reading, a little less Netflix. This wasn't like a, today I'm captain, do it yourself. And everything changed overnight. So it it took time. And I think though, although I am the kind of guy who likes to dive in on things and often get hurt or get overwhelmed by it, I think where the success, why the success stuck was because I did just kind of chip away at it. Yeah, you uh, and you you highlighted a few things I was going to ask about, like, what did you do specifically? But you talked about reading more, or watching Netflix less. So those people, people that are curious on, like, how do I make that shift? Josh just specifically said it in his last question. Can you highlight that maybe possibly for for people like what sure. what did you do specifically? Because as men, right, we're like, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Right. Yeah. So what what was it that you did? Well, and a lot of guys are like, tell me what I need to do and I'll make note of it. <laughs> Most guys, if they actually did, like everyone knows how to be ripped. Everyone knows how to get money. Everyone knows how to everything. It's how many people actually do it. So one thing I didn't touch on, but like it starts with the books. It starts with just being open to these new ideas. Like I can't even tell you how many people will talk to me. And when I mention things like meditation, energy you know mindset they're the oh that's just woo woo shit i don't need that stuff like you're closed and you know i often talk about armors i'm not a big fan of the term vulnerability i get what it means it's it's true i tend to use the word armor and a lot of these guys we have our armor on and what we need to do is we need to find places where it's safe to take it off and put it back on again so a lot of these guys who are closed like that they have their armor keeps everyone out and keeps all the crap in so the first thing is to open up a little bit and acknowledge that you don't have to be completely screwed up. You don't have to be completely broken to want to grow and learn. So you have to be open. But I would say the single biggest leap that I took was joining a men's group. I, again, my brothers and my sister hate it when I say this, but growing up as an only child in my environment, I got really comfortable with being by myself and it's odd like in school I was popular like I was a captain of the football team I was smart I you know like I wasn't an outsider but I never had a lot of friends I never felt I needed a lot of friends so one of the biggest things that I realized is that as I started to read and learn and and go online and read blogs was like who do I talk to this about I got to talk to someone about like this and, and you can only say so much to your wife there's stuff that just men need to talk to men about so the biggest step for me, and this is not a plug, I run a group that we were affiliated with a group. There's other groups out there, but it was those painful moments hovering over the men's group, join now button, trying to do the mental math of like, is this worth it? Literally sitting back and being like, what kind of loser has to pay to have online friends? <laughs> you know, that's what I was thinking. And so, so the single biggest thing was finding your tribe finding your group that that resonates with you and whether that's in personal development 
or Dungeons and Dragons or going skiing or going for a hike or whatever the hell that looks like, finding people around you that are moving in the same direction, provided that direction is helpful um, and healthy, then I think that was that's probably the single biggest jump that I made. Um, and there's no risk to it. Um, yeah. There was there was two things that came out that I wanted to just hit on. And, and mm-hmm. you know what, you, you, you explained it in a great way that I never thought about. So I'm just going to say a lot of men were traditional beings, right? So like that traditional mindset is like, oh, it's always worked. Like, let's just keep it flowing. Like you had said, that openness, that curiosity is where the mo- like the growth came, right? I had put a post on Instagram that said traditionalism is the ultimate killer to growth. And I had a lot of men DM me and say, well, it always works. Like, and, and they were attacking my thought process. And I said, look, my, my message is about being able to be curious and seeing what else is out there. So I just want to say thank you for bringing light to that. And then also the big piece is the fabric of who we are as men change when we are healing in community with other men and when i say heal that doesn't mean i have that emotional release it could be you have the emotional release and i get to experience that and some and some things come up for me that heal itself and that's one big thing that i i saw in the initiation a couple weeks ago with the 20 men is so many people were having these emotional releases and it was all coming up in me oh yeah and I'm like sitting here, this is a fucking sign. Like, this is, this is it. Like, these are the things that are coming up and they're healing. And like you said, in that group, we had conversations with each other that we probably didn't have with any other person outside before. No. And, and I do believe it's all about wanting and finding community. And and one of the challenges is right. It is so Gabor Mate talks about this push-pull, and I, and I love this in the context of my children, but it works in life as well, is this push-pull between being myself and being accepted within a group. And look, there's certain things that if you put this out here into the universe, broadly speaking, well, there's going to be some people in the community that are going to pull away from you. And I think a lot of times we hide what we're feeling or what we're thinking or what we're desiring because either we will be you know, uh, outcast from our immediate group, or there's a fear of being an outcast. So one of the things is we all, as men, typically look at our issues and think, I'm the only one who's dealing with this. Like I must, because we're all out there fronting, right? We're all out there, chest puffed out, shoulders back, looking tough, acting cool. How are you? I'm fine, bro. I'm fine, bro. Yeah, I'm good, good. And meanwhile, everyone's going like, am I the only one who's not fine? Am I the only one who's working through some stuff? And I remember the first time being on a men's call where I I truly don't remember if it was me or someone else, but this moment of like, sometimes I worry about this. And the guy's like, oh yeah, me too. You too? Oh yeah. And then the shoulders go down and everyone goes, wait a minute. You guys aren't running away in horror? No, we all feel that way. Hmm. Do sometimes you get scared that you know, your wife's going to see some other guy and think that he's so much better. Oh yeah. I worry about that too. It's like, no shit. Hey, okay. Or, you know, do you think that the whole world, you know, like as we started to share and you start to realize that we're not alone, then the community starts to come together. And now we're starting to come together because of the things that are similar, as opposed to looking for people to try to decide, how do I get you out of my tribe? Where are you different? 
because we need this small little tribe. So yeah, that was the piece for me. And, and I see it now through the men's work that we do and the group work that we do now is like, everyone comes into these situations with whatever reason, thinking that we are this special, unique flower and our problems, we're the only ones who are facing our unique brand of problems. And while that doesn't mean that they aren't deeply intimate to you, chances are good you're feeling what most of the other guys are feeling on some level. And that's why I'm able to relate to some of the men who have had these super deep traumas and vice versa, because we're coming together in community and we're coming together with compassion and listening and uh, an eye of towards healing. And, and that's the piece. So it's essential to come together as a group because that's, I think, all we really want is to connect and to recognize that I can be me and be welcome into a community. Yeah. You mentioned... Uh, about the power of a men's group. Tell me how that's played a role in your journey. Uh, in the, I, You mentioned being in one uh, other men's group and then also the uh, Man Uncivilized. Tell me how that's played a, a, a factor into your journey. Yeah, I mean, so for me personally, it, it was really cool because it was the first time that I had like really good, healthy male friends. Um, I, I always seem to connect better with women. Um, I, like I said, I was on sports teams and stuff, but I never really connected. Uh, I think I was just too guarded. Um, you know, aside from my own personal work and just being around some phenomenal men and just learning some incredible things, it was also an opportunity for me to be given uh, a chance to be a leader within these kind of groups. And it came about quite unexpectedly. Uh, I'd be on these calls. Naturally, I talk a lot. So I was moving into leadership positions and, and, helping to facilitate some of these things. And I would jump on calls with guys all the time and we would have deep conversations. And, you know, I've had guys call me and say, Hey, like I'm still married because of you. I'm I've had people who have um, come out of the closet a lot because of conversations that they've had with me. Just, they felt safe talking to me about that, which is great. Um, I've had people say like, look, I'm, I'm thinking dark suicidal thoughts. What do we do? And we get them in touch with people who can help them. So what happened to me, the, the kind of interesting moment for me was when my, my calendar was just full up and a couple of guys were like, Hey, I'd love to sit down and have a call with you. And it's like, I'm kind of jammed up. Like, I just, I don't, I don't have time right now. And it was like, well, you're a coach. Can I pay you? It's like, I'm not a coach. I'm just a guy. It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to pay you. I want to pay you for this time because this is the kind of impact you're having in my world. So that was the first time that I thought, is this a thing I can do? Is this, maybe I'm actually okay at this. Um, and then it kind of just amped up that, like I was talking about our ability to give back level. And that was just huge for me. So that, I mean, directly benefiting me, getting into men's work has actually moved me on to this next phase of my life, which is um, coaching men and now going back to school to do my master's in psychology and really help understand how this stuff works. And then this, you know, the the initiation that we did that was my first time experiencing something that intense, seeing the breath work. So I'm looking into doing, becoming a breath work facilitator and, and trying to be part of the group that facilitates these types of men's events. So there, that's a very direct benefit. But honestly, the, it cut both ways. But being in part of a group, one, reminded me of how few real men and masculine friendships that I had that were healthy. But it was also my first real taste of that. And until you can really know what that feels like, um, 
it's it's hard to describe in words what that means to me yeah let me shift here for a second because something you said just like it, it hit me with regards to fatherhood i'm i'm working on a pot project that hopefully comes to fruition in the next couple months called the integrated father and and we can get on we can get in more depth offline sometime but it kind of goes in uh with your complete diet dad podcast and as you were having the you know the perfect life on paper but you had that that feeling that there was something missing how has that helped your relationship with your children how has that made you the better father the more present father the more aware father we've talked about your relationship with your wife we've talked about your relationship with other men how has that helped you with your being a father <laughs> i don't know um hopefully i'm not too horrible of a father i think i think you know what it's allowed me to do is just be hyper aware of the importance of being a father i mean and that sounds like a small thing but again not being numb to the reality that raising these little humans and setting them up for success is critical so you know it's it's helped me with things like my comfort with sharing some of my challenges and my struggles um in other words not trying to be the super stoic dad in front of them all the time my kids have seen me cry i've apologized we talk about my weaknesses we talk about my strengths we have uh strong conversations and i invite them into my world of men's work I want them to see that I'm putting the effort in to being better for myself and for them. So in that capacity, it's been essential. I say I don't know because I started the journey right as I became a father for the first time. So it wasn't something like I had five or six years of being a father. And then I, I, I discovered this process and was like, oh, I'm going to do all of this differently. Um, so I've been fortunate enough that I started these journeys as being a father and, and doing the work roughly at the same time. Um, but, you know, I think that's probably the biggest piece has been around my communication with my kids. And look, I've got a temper. Um, I still fly off the handle and wish that I didn't, and I'm not perfect uh, by any stretch. So that I would say has been the biggest thing. It's it's about being present and intentional. And if you have listened to the Completely Dad podcast, you'll know we talk about that all the time is being intentional and being present, being intentional and being present. Just pay the fuck attention to what you're doing. Be smart about it. Have a deliberateness to what you do. Find a cadence. Um, and again, that complete willingness to take your armor off in front of your children. And, you know, and this is not my my model. Uh, this is a Ryan Mickler um, that I used to work with quite closely and, and I is a really good dude. He always talked about his mission was to teach his sons how to be the best men they could possibly be and to show his daughters, um, his daughter, what type of a man or what 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 to look for in a man, how to model being a good man. And I take that to heart um, with my children. You know, I'm teaching my son to be as good a man as, as he possibly can be. And I want my daughter to be able to look to me and to her brother as role models so that when she moves into that world, and if she decides she wants to date a man, then she knows what to look for. And that's really at its core. Um, but one of the, the, the sayings, or I'm sure 
one person is ultimately credited for it at the time, but whatever demons, whatever shadows, whatever wounds we don't address as fathers, we simply pass them on to our children. And I can say this, I would never hit my kids. I would never do things to hurt them. I would never abuse them. But to me, not addressing these things with the knowledge that I'm just going to pass them on to them, that's abuse, that's assault, that's neglect. And look, they're going to have their own issues that they're going to deal with. We all do. Um, My parents did an incredible job and I have my own issues. But that's the biggest thing for me as, as a parent seeing how important those stakes are because most of the stuff that we deal with or that we see other men deal with are echoes from past generations that were never addressed so there's cycle breaking there's evolution there's all this sort of thing that has to happen and that's how i would say it's the biggest impact um that it's had on me as a parent recognizing that whatever i don't fix whatever i don't sort out now I'm just deferring that to my children and I'm, that's unacceptable to me. Absolutely. That's powerful right there. And what you said and, and going back to, and I know I'm flip-flopping here, but okay, having that going, having that being said and going back into men's work and how is this journey, you know, like, so, so we talked about the power of men's group and in, in your journey now being in more alignment with, coaching and mentoring guiding other men how has that helped you how has that helped you in your in your process where is that taking you and where do you sit at now in my life or in my coaching practice well in your life and in your coaching practice so my absolute biggest strength in my world is my relationship with my wife I know that I can rely on myself. I know that whatever I need to get done, I can get done. Could I survive on my own? Yes. But my relationship with my wife, which is very, very strong and is the byproduct of a lot of work and a lot of tough times, that is our core. That is, that's the foundation on which my entire world is based. And my wife and I, we're not fighters. We don't yell. It's not our thing. We're pretty calm energy, usually. There was a moment in our world, and again, it was all in my head, but I was at a men's function and someone was talking about uh, relationships. And, and he said something really powerful to me or to the group, which was relationships rarely end on a single major event, an infidelity or something. There are usually hundreds, if not thousands of tiny little issues that get ignored and you're inching your way towards the cliff. And then all of a sudden it's that one little thing. I remember I was, I was looking back actually um, reminiscing on, I did a hundred videos in a hundred days on my YouTube channel and someone at my work asked me about it. And I, I just was watching a couple of videos to see how I progressed. And one of them that I watched was actually a, a narrative about a couple at Ikea that we're having a throwdown over some bowls. And the point was like, it's never about the bowl. It's never about the thing. It's about the years of neglect. And, and so as I'm sitting in this conference, surrounded by these powerful, I just started to cry. And my buddy who was presenting, he finished his presentation, came right over to me. He's like, what's going on? And it hit me so profoundly that I had been taking this incredible relationship with my wife for granted. That 
we were having some challenging times. It wasn't a her and I thing, but situationally, there were some challenging times where for the briefest of moments, I couldn't say 100% that my wife was going to be there when I came back from this conference. Now, in reality, because we talked about it, that wasn't even remotely on the table. But I couldn't say for certain because I'd just taken it for granted. And I'm talking about, I'm someone who I dated a lot of women. I, I was at a point where I was convinced I wasn't meant to be with anybody because I'd gone on all these incredible dates with these incredible women and I felt nothing. And after my first date with my wife, I was like, I'm done. It was scary at the time. I was like, nope, this is who I, this, the reason I didn't feel anything for these women is because I hadn't yet connected with her. So my connection with her is, is unbelievably powerful. So anyway, the biggest thing was this moment where I realized I was taking it for granted. And from there, we started talking. We went to couples therapy just to talk through some of these situations that were facing our family that we were working through together. We started to have conversations. It was, there was a, a moment actually where Traver from the Uncivilized Nation and I were talking and he talked about, and I said this before, I can't remember if it, I was listening to a podcast or if it was just one of the conversations that he and I were having where he talked about, you know, when you, when you retract, when you pull back in a relationship, that is abuse. That is aggression, aggression. And that's what I did, right? I was the kind of person that if I'd get upset because my, mind is so good at creating fiction i can catastrophize like a freaking ninja dude so i would have a little disagreement in my mind about something irrelevant yada 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 i'm living divorced alone under a bridge like i could just i could see that parallel that 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 line in my head so what i would do is instead of potentially saying something dumb which would set off this series of catastrophic collapses i would just withdraw I'd walk away, I'd go for a walk, I'd just not talk. And then you look at my wife, who that to her was very aggressive. So we talked and I said, I, I feel like maybe I'm doing this. She's like, holy shit, yeah, you are. Because when you do this, this is what I think. And so for me, in my mind, I was trying to say, I'm trying to spare our relationship from my anger and from my frustration. And she's saying, well, you're and to me, it's like, this relationship isn't worth your energy. It isn't worth your time. You walking away is you walking away from me. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So that was our first, holy shit. We have to communicate. We have to tell each other what we're feeling. Whether we're feeling happy or scared or anything in between, we have to tell each other what we're feeling. We have to open up. And that moment, I remember exactly where we were sitting and when we were talking about this, that led to things like commitments. Like, I know this sounds silly, but we need to commit that this marriage will work. We need to commit that we will be together forever. We need to commit to my vision of you and I at 95, sitting on the park bench, holding hands, watching our kids and grandkids play. We have to make this commitment and we have to recognize that it's going to take work, that it's going to be uncomfortable, but that everything that we do, however uncomfortable, has to be in furtherance of that vision. And we have ground rules around things like, you know, now if we're maybe having a tough day and maybe I'm saying everything I'm, I seem to say is pissing her off. I'll say, is everything okay? And sometimes it's, yeah, 
you're pissing me off. Or sometimes it's like, no, I'm, I'm stressed about this thing. Sorry. I'm like, cool. Let's hug it out. Let's make contact. Let's remind ourselves that this is good. We do it with the same with our kids now. Like if I'm just nattering at my children, she'll come, she'll put her hand on my back and she'll be like, honey, why don't I take this over? Why don't you go, I don't know, watch the race or watch a bit of baseball or, or take a few minutes. I got this. And then vice versa. So we communicate courageously. And I really believe that thankfully our values are in line and, and who we are as human beings. I mean, we don't see eye to eye on things like politics and all of the public popular issues of the day, but because we've committed to very courageous communication, we are fucking unstoppable. And everything else comes from that. I always talk about trying to live from the inside out. Um, that's it. I get my shit fixed myself. That allows me to have the confidence to have these conversations with my wife. We are now a concept I use all the time is us, right? You have to define your us. My wife and I, we, us, we're good. That allows us to parent on a unified front. That allows us to tackle financial issues or whatever that might be challenging together as a unit because our home front is secure. And if I would have to say the single most powerful outcome of all the work that I've done has been solidifying this relationship with my wife. Hell yeah. And you know, like that brings a lot of joy to me because a lot of that resonated with me and, and my wife. Um, I want to ask you one last question before we wrap it up here is if you could give yourself one piece of advice looking 10 years back, like, so Joshua now to Joshua, then giving yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, 10 years ago. I mean, I got some financial tips and stock tips I might hand, hand down, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, maybe it's a cop-out answer, but I would say, cause I, I do, I do think I've had to walk a journey for a reason, but I would say maybe it's a two-part answer. If I can have a bit of latitude, I would say embrace discomfort and embrace risk. I guess maybe they're the sort of the two sides of the same coin. Um, I'm still a very risk averse human being. It's part of my nature. I work for an insurance company and that's my job. <laughs> it's part of who I am. Um, the last major headwind that I have to tackle as a, as a man and as a human being is a willingness to embrace discomfort and, and risk. And I know now every, every evolution point in my life has come on the backside of discomfort and risk. Um, I remember the first time I finished a Spartan race as a big kind of heavy guy who was always hurting physically finishing my first Spartan sprint was the most powerful moment. I remember if you've ever run them, usually the last obstacle is like a little crest, right? You climb yourself up and then you come down. I remember sitting at the top of that, that pyramid thing and choking back tears being like, holy shit, you did this. It took me like four hours to finish a sprint because I was in pain and I was doing burpees on every station. But it, it, I guess my message to me or to anyone listening would be to learn how to embrace discomfort and take on risk in a, in a responsible way. You know, we, we talked a little bit about that. It's like, it's great, the whole burn your boats and dive all in. And that's not necessarily um, feasible for everybody. Maybe, maybe your partner and your family does have that level of risk tolerance that they're all good for, but that's not everybody. But one of the terms that I really love, I think it was Andy Frisilla who, who coined this term. He talks about aggressive patience. Yeah. And aggressive patience is a phenomenal term 
because like I can be in micro things incredibly impatient. But on the macro, I'm super patient. I don't know where my world is going to take me. I don't know what I'm going to be doing professionally in 10 years. But I know that I can be patient as I discover that journey. But in the micro, I'm super impatient. I'm doing thousands of little things to always be moving myself forward in furtherance of something bigger. So if 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 I could have learned a little earlier on to get more comfortable being uncomfortable and to accept a little bit more risk into my world earlier on, I would probably be further ahead than what I am now. But with that being said, I'm in a pretty freaking sweet place. Nice. Give me a 90, 90 second elevator pitch in regards to if this resonated with the listeners out there, if they, they're filling a pool to you, how can they find you? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, what platforms, et cetera? Sure. Uh, and I appreciate that. I'm not a big pitch guy. Um, I mean, you can find me on Instagram, uh, joshua.laycock. And then from there, you can see the work that we're doing with the complete dad, with uh, the uncivilized nation, with my own coaching practice. And and this is a bit of an unpopular sentiment um, to all the, the guys that we know who are coaches is nobody needs a coach. You just don't. I have coaches, but I didn't always have a coach. Part of where a coach can really come in is one to help you see things from a slightly different perspective, just to kind of open your eyes a little bit, but also we can create a bit of velocity, help you kind of maybe make up for some lost time. But the truth is, I don't know. Um, I think everyone at some point goes through these phases of like, who am I and what have I been doing all this time? I think the biggest thing is if you feel like you're alone in that journey, reach out to someone. If you want to reach out to me, if you want to reach out to, you know, anybody, just reach out to someone. You want to join my group. You want to join Chaber's group. You want to like, just join a group and, and connect. For me, I've got my own style. I, I, I'm taking on very few clients right now. I've got a couple spots. It's not a huge thing that I'm focusing on because I've got a nice little suite of clients, but I'm, I would say the biggest thing is if you just, tired of being asleep, tired of being numb and just something doesn't feel right. I'm more interested in just having conversations, coaching clients that comes down the road, but I'm always open for a conversation and uh, just try to help people see life from a slightly different perspective, because it doesn't matter where you come from or what you're facing. Things can be improved and almost all of your tools are already available within you. Sometimes you just have to let, you know, someone point you in the direction of where to find it. But that's the coolest thing about this whole process is it's all already inside of you. You just need someone to wake you up to it. Absolutely. Joshua, I truly appreciate your time today. Uh, really, really love your story and how, and how you um, articulated it today. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, thank you. And I look forward to the next time. My absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you.